The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critically Reclaimed, the podcast where we review stuff. My name is William Bibiani. <laughs> Everyone calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold, and uh, t- today we are going to uh, we're going to raise the Titanic from a pup. <laughs> Raised it from a pup, I did. <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute, All right. and we'll introduce the title proper, and then we'll play a clip. But yeah, this is the podcast where we uh, look back at all of the catalog titles that are on the various streaming services that people are watching nowadays, mm-hmm. and instead of looking at the new stuff, we're looking at the old stuff, the stuff that often gets overlooked, the uh, older films that maybe you've seen before and haven't thought of in a while, or maybe the ones you've never bothered to watch. Uh, in the either case way, of, these are yeah. films uh, one of us hasn't seen. Yes, that's the rule. At least uh, one of us has to have not seen the movie in question, so that one of us is discovering something anew. But sometimes, uh, you know, one of us will be revisiting an old friend. Uh, and either way, all of our films on Critically Reclaimed are curated by our listeners on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Critically Acclaimed Network is the name of our Patreon. In addition to exclusive shows dedicated to every single film ever nominated for Best Picture, every episode of the 1960s Batman, every episode of Star Trek ever made, commentary tracks, and whatnot. Uh, we also have polls to help decide future episodes of the show. And every week, our patrons get to decide... Which film on a particular streaming service Whitney and I are going to watch? And this time, we decided to head on over to everyone's favorite bargain bin, (laughs) Tubi. The the, the UHF dial of the streaming era. Yeah. uh, Most of the big streamers that you're aware of, your Netflixes, your Disney channels, your your HBO minuses. All All the big corporate rock. Yeah. They're mostly, like, they, they have all of their, like, premium content, and, like, if they have older stuff, it's, like, a bit more of a hodgepodge. Tubi has all the old crap. Like, all of it. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's like, an astounding amount. And this is a free service. They have a lot of ads, but not as many as you might think. They're not, like, as... They're about as pervasive as if you were watching it on TV. So about every 10, 15 minutes or so. Yeah. So it's not too bad. And, Better than YouTube a lot of the time, I'll tell you that much. Which will interrupt a video mid-sentence to show yeah. you an ad. Yeah. there's. I, I, the other day I was watching a video on YouTube. There were 30 seconds to go in the video, and they interrupted it for an ad. It's Fuck like, you. 30 seconds to go. <laughs> My God. That's like interrupting a movie for a commercial and then showing the credits. Come on. We waited for you. Uh, but uh, Tubi has a lot of the weirder, older stuff and newer stuff as well. It's actually got a pretty good selection overall. Uh, and so we wanted to look at the various thrillers that were available on Tubi that Whitney or myself had never seen. And um, we gave you, we wagered to our patrons uh, uh, four films. And in return, they raised the Titanic. <laughs> I think we hit the jackpot. It's at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. You're talking about 12,500 feet underwater. Which leaves us with only one choice. Are you talking about raising the Titanic? Yeah. 
It's the biggest job with the highest stakes anybody ever dreamt of. Raise the Titanic is one of, it's not talked about very often anymore. It's one of the biggest box office bombs ever. Ever. This is a big, expensive thing. And this, Huge. this came at the, um, I, I guess it was dying out. It was sort of on the sliding edge of that big wave of 1970s sort of spectacle slash disaster movies. I think it's, it's not technically a disaster film. But it's got, but it, it's, it's adjacent. It has, it has that vibe. Well, it's to about it. the Titanic. There are disasters that occur mm. as they go underwater to find the Titanic, and so it's. I, I think, although some might call it a bit more of like an exploration movie or more even more of a spy movie, mm. I think if you had like you know like Criterion does their thing where here are like twenty neo noirs to discover. Mm. If you were looking at like twenty disaster movies and one of them was raised the Titanic, I it, would go, Yeah. You wouldn't really bad yeah, that's and fa- that, that's a, that's that's fine. That's that's an adjunct. And the director of this, Jerry Jameson, also did one of the airport sequels. Yeah, so think, yeah 77, I Air, think. Airport seventy seven. Uh, yeah. look up those airport movies. They were huge. One of the biggest motion mm. picture franchises of like the second half of the twentieth century. And uh, nobody talks about them anymore. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're Oscar-winning, Oscar yeah, those and, movies. And huge stars were in these yeah. things. These were a big, big deal in the 70s. Yeah. And, they uh, con- I mean, they weren't critically acclaimed. They were considered kind of like junky fluff, yeah. which they were. Yeah. But, uh, but a, yeah. Lot of the, a lot the, of the uh, disaster movies are junky fluff, and a lot of them were nominated for like best picture and shit. So no matter how popular the thing you like is... It could fall away at really any could. minute. Uh, you never know. Give it a couple of decades. Some of your favorite uh, thing will be obscure. Raise the Titanic, uh, I think, was destined to be obscure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raise the Titanic is about... Um, it, it's enough story for a 30-minute sitcom. It's actually shocking how little story yeah, there there's, is. Yeah, there's it's, almost no story to this thing. This is based off of uh, the first... Uh, I almost it's, said it's, Dirk Benedict, and that's wrong. That's a Clive Cussler novel. Yeah. It's a Clive Cussler novel about Dirk Pitt, who is a character who, uh, after selling the rights to Raise the Titanic, hmm. uh, Clive Cussler hated the movie so much that he vowed he would never let them make another Dirk Pitt movie. And then about 20-something years go by, and he said, okay, fine, you can make Sahara. And then, and, then they made <laughs> and then they made Sahara with Matthew Conaghy. That was also one of the biggest, most notorious bombs in history. And also Clive Cussler didn't like the movie. So <laughs> this character, so, uh, this a is... lot of people consider Dirk Pitt to be like one of these like great literary characters like Jack Ryan mm. or, or uh, uh, Alex Cross, who was like sort of could totally carry like a whole movie franchise, but cursed. Yeah, just yeah. doomed with these movies. They just, and, and and I yeah. don't know uh, about Dirk Pitt as a character. Like, no, I haven't either. read the Clive Cussler novels. I, I saw Sahara he... when it came out, but I think yeah. it was stoned. I don't remember anything <laughs> about it. Or maybe it was just boring. Yeah. <laughs> it could be wonderful. Uh, Dirk Pitt is played by uh, actor Richard Jordan in this film. Richard mm. Jordan is a... F- he's He's got a face you'd recognize. Does he? I, re- I recognized him from Dune. Okay. He had a small, he had a, a role in Dune, uh, but I've I've seen him like in supporting roles in yeah. a lot of movies. I recognized him from Warrior of the Lost World, and then I realized, wait, I'm thinking of Robert Ginty, <laughs> aka the he's, paper chase guy. He, he, he is not Robert Ginty. He's got a Robert Gintyish quality. He, he is he is Gintier than most. <laughs> he's he's uh, he's got like a kind of a thick beard, and he doesn't really have like. This movie is clearly evoking or attempting to evoke 
some James Bond vibes. It's got a big cast. It's got a big, uh, big Alec Guinness is in it. Big British actors are in it. Uh, John Barry did the score, and boy, does it sound like everything John Barry ever did. John Barry is one of those uh, uh, composers. He did the James Bond theme. He did the theme for Black Hole, which we covered not that long ago on the show. Spectacular, and, uh, but very shallow movie, very, Black Hole. Yeah, yeah. Gorgeous epic, but like not a great story. Um, John Barry tends to make scores that sound like John Barry scores. <laughs> and then when they're great, they're great. And when they're not, they sound like he's reusing old tracks. Yeah. And this one sounds like he's well, reusing old tracks. You can accuse most composers of doing that. Oh, sure. they, they work with a certain types of sounds, don't they? Mm-hmm. You can, well, you can uh, spot a John Williams score. Uh, Hans Zimmer, I remember being vaguely offended when um, we, uh, uh, we watched, uh, I think, Drop Zone. Mm. And Hans Zimmer did the score to Drop Zone. And one of my favorite John Hans Zimmer bits is his bit from Pirates of the Caribbean that rousing it's a good one yeah yeah he uses a lot of that stuff in Drop Zone like he cribbed a lot of pirates from Drop Zone like it's kind of amazing what movie no no the one he used in that one was that sounds like is that pirates or that drop zone it's drop zone on the okay. pirates I, I i got the track wrong yeah. but yeah yeah um but da dum 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 that is uh commercial jingle well <laughs> well you're thinking of of uh uh, National Geographic. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I was singing uh, Danny Elfman's Batman music. Oh, you, you yeah. didn't hold it out long ago. Yeah. You, if you held it out a little longer. Now, um, like uh, the year later, we got which is Dick Tracy. Very similar. It's, it's the same music almost. Yeah. Uh, I, I've seen those movies a lot, so I can hum their scores. Yeah. I apologize if anyone's bored out of their mind right yeah. now. <laughs> anyway, John Barry did the score to race the Titanic. It's got a lot of spy stuff in it. Um, but uh, yeah, this is this was considered not just like a big epic film, mm. an adaptation of a successful novel, a big uh, gigantic undertaking, well, you know, yeah. visual effects wise. Uh, but it was huge budget. Could possibly was... launch a franchise. Mm. Like this was gonna be a big deal, and. Um, it cost way too fucking much. Yeah, Forty million and nineteen eighty dollars, which I think. Um, I, I, let me double check my math on that, but I think that's like one hundred and eighty million dollars today in twenty twenty one dollars. And yeah. it made and it made seven. Yeah. And you don't need uh, inflation to know that it didn't make its <laughs> money back. Yeah, people were not interested. Um, yeah, but uh, uh, Richard Jordan was the main character. He's Dirk Pitt. Uh, but I think the big stars uh, they got Ann Archer. They got Jason Robards. Uh, and they got Alec Guinness in a small part. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, this was around the time Alec Guinness would sort of wander in front of a camera if you just sort of said, hey, like that you float a check in front of him and he'll sort of walk in front of the camera for you. <laughs> but he'll do a professional job, of course, because he's a, a complete oh, yeah. professional. Yeah, yeah. But he did, he said no to little. Yes, that's very, very true. Um, so the plot of the movie, Raise the Titanic. Uh, America needs a laser shield. Go on. <laughs> and in order to power this laser shield to protect us from the Russians, we need to get basically it's unobtainium. unobtainium. It's called Byzantium. It's like yeah. it's it's this unknown element. Uh, while looking in a mine, they found evidence that somebody might have had this element called Byzantium, which is the element they need mm. to make this thing. And unfortunately, the entire supply of Byzantium. 
Uh, or is it Byzantium? It's Byzantium. Byzantium. The enti- the, basically, the whole world supply of Byzantium uh, was in one place. Mm. The fucking Titanic. Yeah, they, they found that Byzantium was being carried on board the Titanic. Mm-hmm. And uh, like this one guy had it and yeah. we put it in a safe. They found like a letter um, indicating that he had it. So yeah. they knew, okay, so we know now. And this is, and it takes them like 30 minutes of the movie to figure this out. Yeah. We, we now know that this is uh, at the bottom of the Atlantic somewhere. So we have yeah. to A, find the Titanic. Uh-huh. And the pressure is too great to dive. We mm-hmm. can't go down there. And we didn't have like these awesome robot subs no, that could like, go down to like, the Mariana Trench. Or whatever they yeah. were. Yeah, they... yeah. yeah. So, like, so they have to, in order to retrieve this shit, they have to raise the Titanic from the ocean depths back to the surface. Mm. Which is admittedly quite an idea. It's a really fanciful idea. And it's they worth did. remembering. Uh-huh. It's worth remembering that in 1980... We didn't know we where didn't, it was yet. We didn't know where the Titanic was. We had a general sense. It's probably in the Atlantic Ocean somewhere. Mm-hmm. And there are like general ideas where it's probably in this grid somewhere, but that's a gigantic... And that, we, That's why the, the James Cameron movie about the Titanic mm-hmm. was, was such a coup. Because he used actual footage he shot yeah. of the Titanic on the ocean's floor because it yeah. had only recently, like a few years before, been discovered. Yeah, they discovered the Titanic and they also discovered a bunch of things about the Titanic that they didn't know before. Mm. So Raise the Titanic is spectacularly inaccurate. It's actually, apparently, except for one thing. Hmm. By by sheer mind-blowing coincidence, or or maybe Clive Custler did like really, really good research, um, the actual... like depth the Titanic was at mm. was nearly accurate. Oh, nice. And okay. raised the Titanic. Like, it was it was surprisingly no, they, close to where it was actually, like, located in yeah, the depth they, of the ocean floor. They did know that it, it was sunk via a, a collision with an iceberg. Yeah, people survived. So, people saw it. Yeah, people knew so, what happened. Um, but one of the things but, they uh, didn't know was that it was, is that it cracked in half. Mm. People thought so the, the Titanic sunk like there was, there was just, just a, a hole was like ripped in the side and yeah. just water came in and it sunk yeah. People down. remembered seeing the Titanic like, you know, when it goes like all the way upright, like perpendicular to the water. Mm. But what they didn't remember was it cracking in half. So we didn't know that until we found the Titanic. Mm. So in Raise the Titanic, when they pull the Titanic up to the surface of the ocean, it's intact. It's just complete. And they've they've. Patched the hole. That's the, the only yeah. thing that's the problem. They somehow got down there, patched yeah. the hole, pumped the water out, and and raised it up to the surface. It's it's really interesting to watch these movies that were trying to be like trying to appeal to like history nerds or science science nerds, and but they're going with the information we had at the time. Mm. Uh, there's a really good example of this. It's a sci-fi movie called Robinson Crusoe on Mars. I haven't seen Robinson Crusoe on Mars. It's very, very fun. Um, but basically, it's the Robinson Crusoe story, except a couple of astronauts are orbiting Mars. Their ship crashes. One of them dies. The one who dies is played by Adam West, by the way. Um, and the other one survives. And at the time, the movie was being marketed as the most scientifically accurate Mars movie ever. Hmm. So it was full of things that we knew about Mars, like there's water and some oxygen. Like these are people. People thought there were canals on Mars for a while, just because based on what we were seeing from telescopes, we didn't have more accurate telescopes. We didn't have more accurate information than that. So the movie was considered, except for like the last act where there are aliens attacking and everything. They were going for accuracy, but watch it now and it's very quaint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's true for Raise the Titanic as well, which is extra embarrassing because they were really taking this shit seriously. They were taking it really seriously, and it's presented in this incredibly earnest, uh, almost Roland Emmerich-like uh, clunkiness, mm-hmm. where uh, 
we're going to sort of circle the globe and there's a lot of foreboding and a lot of mystery as to where the Titanic is and yeah, a lot of unpacking about the little details. I don't trust any movie poster that advertises a film as accurate. Yeah. Some are, but yeah. if they are, they probably don't advertise that fact. I, I think the movie The Human Centipede ruined that. Oh, yeah, 100% yeah. medically accurate. I, I don't uh, want any movie to ever advertise itself as medically accurate. No, thank you. About anything. No. Um, the uh, the films that are uh, most accurate, from what I understand, uh, the sciences are very accurate. Even though it's a, a science fiction film, the sciences are quite accurate in the film The Martian, the Ridley Scott film. Oh, uh, yeah, I heard they, they were trying to be very careful. They were trying that, yeah. to try, uh, It's clearly not possible, but they right. were trying to make it look as possible as possible. If, you, if you're fictionalizing uh, anything, you've got to make something up. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, I know um, Master and Commander of the Far Side of the World is uh, notoriously accurate, down to uh, like details about the yeah. costumes and look, power structure. That's historically accurate. Historically accurate. Scientifically accurate. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, this one is is being presented in incredibly frankly, as if they're giving you a, a lecture. Mm-hmm. And uh, before they find the Titanic, they give like a press conference. We know it's somewhere here, and they triangulate it. They show models, yeah, and like, here's how it's going to work. And they're very impressed with themselves. And honestly, and again, I, I it, you look back, and it's like it's a movie about raising the Titanic. It sounds absurd, uh, but when if you consider it just for a moment. Mm. If you consider this as a romantic notion, we're going to take this ship that at the time was still lost. Mm-hmm. We're going to find it. That in and of itself is an adventure. Yeah. We're going to find it and we're going to use the latest technology and the most up-to-date science possible to lift the Titanic out of the ocean so we can walk around on it. Mm-hmm. If, the, if they actually did this, if they actually lifted the Titanic out of the ocean and you could walk around on it. Wouldn't you wanna? Yeah, absolutely. Of course I would. That's a fascinating idea. The problem with this movie is that, and I don't, I haven't read the book. Mm. Maybe the book is far more interesting. Uh, they don't have anything else really to go along with that. Everything surrounding that is like the vague idea of a story, but they never actually do it. Here's an example. Um, we're introduced to uh, a bunch of characters who are trying to get this uh, laser missile defense system off the ground, mm. and uh, they're concerned that the Russians are going to find out about it. Uh, when they find out that uh, this shit is missing and they need to possibly go to the depths of the ocean to find it, they enlist Dirk Pitt. Mm. Dirk Pitt comes with a bit of legend to him. He is spoken of in hushed tones. He will only take assignments that are considered impossible. That kind of thing. What and what is he exactly like? What is his job? Because that is really unclear to me. He's he's an independent contractor, basically, who does who who's and I think he's essentially a pirate. <laughs> like he does like <laughs> he does like sea stuff. Like, uh, this is how he's presented in the movie. He's like a freelance pirate. He's like a freelance pirate. He's he he does ocean salvage. He'll do certain amounts of exploration. He solves. Mm. He's basically Indiana Jones. We didn't have Indiana Jones yet, by the way. That's true. It's basically kind of a proto-Indiana Jones in a lot of ways. Um, he's out there to uh, dig up history, f- fight bad guys, or he would if they ever showed up and did more than issue vague threats. Mm. Um, and uh, the point I was going to bring up is it turns out that one of these uh, scientists who is responsible for this laser system, turns out he's dating Dirk's ex-girlfriend. She's uh, played by Ann Archer from Fatal Attraction, and she would also be uh, Harrison Ford's uh, wife in the uh, Jack Ryan movies, right. uh, which is where I recognized her from. I was like, how oh, do I know her? Like, oh, that's right, Jack Ryan movies. 
Um, she's great, by the way. She has nothing to do, but she's really good in this. She brings a lot of energy and life to a movie that is, mostly has none. Um, and the whole thing is like, oh, so uh, this Dirk Pick guy, he seems cool. Did you know him? And she's like, we met. Cool. <laughs> Later on, okay, fine, we live together for a year. Oh! They could have. Are you, you going to go back to him or something? No. Oh! Are we going to. Was this ever going anywhere? No, in fact, the Ann Archer isn't in the second half of the movie. Oh. Why? They well, don't really think this shit out. Well, that, look, that, we, that's we, drama. That's melodrama, but this, it's drama. The, the director of this film, I was just looking over his filmography, did mostly TV. He's best known for TV. He did some features, but uh, he mostly did like one episode of every hot seventies TV program. Yeah, his name is Jerry Jameson. Yeah, Jerry Jerry Jameson. Who? Uh, yeah. yeah. Look, look over. It's, it's like yeah, he did the Mod Squad. Uh, he did Cannon, uh, the Six Million Dollar Man, McLeod, uh, Hawaii yeah, Five O, yeah, Ironside, mm, uh, Superdome, uh, High Noon Part Two. The TV sequel to High Noon. Yeah, a lot, lot oh, of, yeah. A, a lot of TV and TV movies, and I. This feels like he's finally allowed to sort of stretch a little bit. Yeah, he he's making, making a film that's almost two hours in length and doesn't have the the strictures of needing to put in like commercial breaks or worry about uh, you know, TV censorship. Pace it however he wants. Uh, and as such, it feels like he's indulging himself a little bit. Mm. Why do we have the Ann Archer story in here? Well, I wouldn't be allowed to do that in a TV movie. That's a note you'd get from a studio. Mm. Cut that character. We don't. We don't need we it. We don't need it. It's not doesn't, adding doesn't to the plot. Doesn't tie into anything. But you know, I, I want to give Ann Archer work. I think she's a good actress. Mm. I think it would be interesting to give uh, Dirk a little bit of a backstory with another character. Yeah. It'd allow both of those characters to sort of thrive a little bit. I'm going to put them all in the movie. Right. It's like okay, fine. We'll cut it out in editing. So who's editing? Oh, shit, you forgot. You forgot to cut out that character. Uh, <laughs> it, it feels like he's... You could cut all of her scenes in the movie would be the same. Yeah, not, not a... And the, it's a shame, because I actually think she's giving one of the most engaging performances the, in the, the movie, but she doesn't need to be there. Yeah, the would, would not be altered one whit with her, her excision from this film. But, yeah. yeah, which is a pity, because Ann Archer is, is good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I feel like this was a chance to do something that he couldn't do on TV. Right. That, that's the reason a lot of these... It starts so slow. Which Why it doesn't weird. get to the climax until like way late in the which film? Is, which is weird to me because to me this movie plays like a TV miniseries. Like mm. this movie plays like we have a way more time to fill than we needed. Mm. Because again, here's when I want to give you the plot of the movie and bullet points. Mm. Okay, uh, we need to get this Byzantium. It's on the Titanic. Hey Dirk, you want to go find the Titanic? Yes. Hey, Dirk, did you find the Titanic? Yes. What are we going to do? We're going to raise that shit. Cool. <laughs> We're going to go get the Titanic. Oh, no, some people died. Is that important? Not really. Okay. Oh, no, some people get stuck on the Titanic. Oh, well, are they going to die? No, because we're going to raise that shit. Cool. Is that going to take a while, long time? It was supposed to take us like really like a whole bunch of weeks. No, we can do it in an hour. Okay, so we're going to do that. Cool. Oh, hey, the Russians are here. And the Russians are like, hey, fuck off. This is our Titanic. And, and they're just like, nuh-uh. And the Russians are like, well, well, we could do some stuff. And Dirk is like, yeah, we have the American military. And Russia's like, oh, we forgot about that. And then they fuck off. And then it turns out the Byzantium wasn't on the Titanic. The yeah. end. 
Uh, There's where, not well, a lot of movie but, there. No, there is a twist as to where it was. There though. is. I don't want to ruin it. Right. I don't want to ruin the last thing in the movie. But like, there's. A, it's also really telegraphed. Uh, there, <laughs> it's also really, really telegraphed. I, I liked the scenes where uh, after they've risen, the t- there's this big sequence where they're swimming around mm. underwater. And we've commented on this before. Underwater sequences are death. I yeah, mean, they're, I, I, they're slow. They're murky. If, unless you're unless you're James Cameron making a documentary film, mm. uh, a, you know, just put getting these like high tech cameras and swimming them around mm. under sea and giving me facts while I'm watching this stuff, mm-hmm. it's gonna be. It's not a good way to increase tension. At least not yeah, if you're doing it the you way it actually is. Maybe yeah. Avatar Two will even, find a way to make it really exciting. Even like uh, underwater horror films, like uh, like. Underwater, mm-hmm. uh, there's this long sequence in Underwater where Kristen Stewart's in a, in a scuba suit, wandering uh-huh. around on the ocean floor, and you can't see a damn thing. Yeah, because like she has limited visibility. There's a lot of mm-hmm. silt in the water, and it's like her lights are reflecting off of it, and she's supposed to be scared of something. Mm-hmm. And I'm just watching a bunch of like particles floating around on a black screen. Yeah, it's, it's and, and it goes on and on and on. It's interminable. And, 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 and so all of this stuff about raising the Titanic and swimming around and all this impressive underwater photography is really dull. Yeah, it's. It shouldn't be. It should be like I mean, the John, most thrilling thing ever. John Barry's giving giving his all. He's trying to like but John, music it up. But. but John Barry isn't giving it exciting music. He's giving mm-hmm. this like almost foreboding music. Mm-hmm. He does that whole. I'll say this: if, if you really, really, really liked that scene in Star Trek: The Motion Picture, where <laughs> where you just look at the ship for a couple minutes, yeah. you're gonna love the sequences from uh, Raise the Titanic because there's a lot of these glory shots just panning over the, the underwater ship, and they did a, mm-hmm. do a good job of making it look large. Oh yeah, the scale of it's yeah. actually quite impressive. I will, I gotta give them that. The model itself, they give a whole bunch of like up close, detailed shots where they still manage to capture the. Enormous of it because it's a giant model obviously hmm. um it looks good it's a great looking model like if there's an oscar just for models i give it to that movie by all means um what was i gonna say uh i was thinking you were saying that uh, uh underwater scenes in movies are always death hmm. i can think of one example that actually leans into the stuff that usually fucks up other movies hmm. and that's the original 47 meters down uh, how so? You ever see that movie? Yeah. Okay. So uh, the idea of uh, tra- trapped in cage at yeah. the bottom of the ocean. Couple of, cu- a couple, yeah. couple of uh, uh, novice divers are in a shark cage for like a tourist thing, and then the cage ends up getting severed from the boat and falling forty-seven meters down into the ocean. Mm. And in that one, they're surrounded. They've chummed the water, so they're surrounded by angry sharks. In that case, they're not moving around a lot at all anyway, mm. so the slowness doesn't really affect anything. Mm. It's a claustrophobic. But the it's idea, about trapping in it's being trapped trapped. one spot. Yeah. And also, the the low visibility means that there could be a shark five feet from you and you have no idea. Mm-hmm. And so it's when they move their head and there's little light flashes and you just capture that one shark eye, it's actually really scary. Mm. Um, I think that's one where they actually knew the problems involved with shooting underwater and they decided to make that the thing that made it suspenseful. Mm. But most movies are acting as though we'll be fine with watching scuba divers swim slowly for 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And it's boring. I'm just going <laughs> to say it. Stop doing that shit. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of other <laughs> but, things but to say. Once, but, once, yeah. once it's risen. Yeah. Once they do all of that underwater nonsense and it yeah. takes a long portion of and the movie. And they walk around in yeah, it. It looks cool. That they're when they're walking around in it, I like that part. That like awesome. th- this like fantasy that you could raise the Titanic and it's all kind of like rotten and dripping, mm-hmm. but it's like intact enough that you could explore it and they're mm-hmm. going like breaking into safes and stuff. Yeah. That's that like, shit's cool. That's like fun pulp movie adventure stuff. Yeah. I like that. Uh like the movie Ghost Ship. 
Yeah. Yeah, which is a better movie than this, which is sad because Ghost Ship isn't that good. It's not that good. The opening is amazing. The first like five yeah, minutes of how, Ghost Ship we, is astonishingly good. How we learn how the ship became a ghost ship is pretty interesting because we yeah. get to see that right in the opening scene. Oh, that opening scene. Ghost Ship is seriously is one of the best opening scenes of any horror movie. <laughs> Period. And that's I know what that says. If you've never seen it, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen it, you've no idea what I'm talking yeah. about. You should totally um, see it. An actor uh, named Ron Eldard is in that movie. Oh, yeah. And um, he was a regular customer at the movie theater where I worked. So oh, I got to cool. sort of talk to him a lot. And uh, he, I watched Ghost Ship, and then he came in, and I got to ask him, did he actually eat real maggots? Because there's a ah. scene where characters are eating, eating food. And they don't realize it, they're maggots. They don't realize them, yeah. it's ghost food, and they, like, they look yeah. up, and there's like maggots spilling out the of their mouths. The Lost Boys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mag- You've seen that now. You've seen Lost Boys. I've seen, so you I, know I, the maggots. I, I finally watched You're Lost eating maggots, Boys. Michael. <laughs> Motherfucking maggots. How do they work? And um, <laughs> they... Uh... <laughs> Sorry, I had to. Uh, but Maggots? Maggots. <laughs> maggots. 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 You know, we're stopping. I don't mean to gross anybody. Yeah, we're just, and, I'm quoting Garth Brink. And, and, he, and, he and he leans forward. He has the ICP makeup. Okay. Uh, no, uh, Ron Eldred has to, actually had to put like a big spoonful of real maggots in his mouth and then oh. spit them all out. So I, I got to ask him about that. Did, did you actually eat maggots? He's like, yeah, that was a miserable day of shooting. Oh, God. He really did that? He really oh, did that. Oh, I mean, gross. He's, he's devoted to his craft. He didn't yeah. mind. But yeah, no, it's he's, still uh, gross, though. But yeah, it's like, yeah. I, I no, one's, no one's looking forward to that shit. He's like, yeah, those are real maggots. Wow. Yep, put them in my mouth. <laughs> Ron, El- I'm, I'm going to say this right now. Ron Eldred, if you're listening, and yeah. I'm sure you are, because we know how much you love Race the Titanic. Mm. Um, Ron, uh, you didn't get paid enough on Ghost Ship, buddy. Yeah, whatever it was, they, <laughs> they should have doubled they paid that. You more. They should have doubled that shit. Um, also, you're really good in The Last Supper. I like Ron Eldard. I, I was quite a fan of When Trumpets Fade. Mm. It was a, I heard that was good. It was a World War II movie. One, yeah. It was made for HBO. came out the same year as Saving Private Ryan, so nobody talked about it. Really good cast. Really well made. It's very kind of... Uh, uh, bitter and dark World War II movie, like no, not a lot of rah rah shit. It's actually very sad and mm. and, uh, and pointed. And uh, yeah, that movie's great. If you ever get a chance to see When Trumpets Fade, I highly recommend it. Um, but but we're not talking about Raise the Titanic because there's shockingly little to discuss. That's well, the thing. Once, it's a two-hour movie, and almost nothing happens in it. Well, and, and uh, the big climax is once they've raised the Titanic. T- technically, they're in international waters. Uh huh. So, and there's Russians that were helping them do this, like actual Soviet scientists. And so they're wandering around the Titanic. They're like, okay, now we have the Titanic. And the Russian pulls a gun on them. Like a single handgun is going to rob the entire Titanic. Mm-hmm. And he says, okay, now all you Americans go and we'll just salvage this Titanic for ourselves. Mm, and we'll keep the Byzantium, and we'll keep the Byzantium, for, Byzantium for ourselves. And they're, yeah. and they're like, no. They're like Charles Grodin. No. <laughs> no. No. Yeah, I, I, but I would really, really like to commandeer your Titanic. Yeah. No. <laughs> Please? I happen to know you can't commandeer the Titanic. <laughs> does, this gun, does this gun bother you? No, it's one of my favorite Which one of the things. Ghostbusters movies had the Titanic actually showing up in New York Harbor? That was the second one. Was that the second yeah. one? Okay. Because they clearly saw Save the Titanic. No, Raise the Titanic. Yeah. Sorry, it's raise the Titanic, yeah. sorry. I think of Save the Tiger. Save the tiger, raise the Titanic, hang them high. You know, they're all the same. Hmm. Um, raise, raise the tiger. There's a tiger at the bottom of the Atlantic. How'd it get there? That's an interesting story. It's bringing up baby, except there's a tiger on the Titanic. <laughs> raise, raising up baby. <laughs> bringing up the Titanic. It was, it was a baby once. Oh, my God. It was born as a tugboat. This is, uh, th- so the, 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 
when James Cameron made Titanic. By the way, James Cameron's Titanic is great. I I, I hated Titanic uh, when it first came out, like mm-hmm. a lot of hipsters at the time. Yeah, I was in college. You I was, were used was to the too, usual too, James Cameron too movies. Too cool for the yeah. room. Well, he, I, actually, he made I actually pulpy romance. I actually wasn't the only James Cameron film I had seen up to that point were the first two Terminator films. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, so, but it, it was one of these things. Like, oh, it's. It's, it's really popular. This is the 90s. We're kind of thumbing our noses at that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, my, my sister actually put it very, very, very well. She said she saw it and she cried. Mm-hmm. And then uh, she was immediately angry at the man for making her cry. <laughs> and, uh, and, and But you, you look at it and this is sort of like the pinnacle of pop filmmaking. Like it yeah. doesn't really get any slicker than this production. Yeah. It's got every, everything about it is satisfying. It doesn't yeah. have like any kind of holes in it. There's a little tiny thing, but who gives a shit? Like he talked about a, a lake that didn't exist. Whatever. Yet. Who the, cares? Like, uh, it has some of like, mo- like James Cameron, most of James Cameron's movies, some of the best special effects you're ever going to yeah. say. Some of the dialogue is stupid, but Hey, you ever see a star war? Yeah, uh, it's, there's, there's stupid it's, dialogue in most movies if you know where some, to look. Some of the dialogue yeah. clunky, yes. Is, yeah. there, is the romance melodramatic? Yes. Is it all effective? Yes. Everything. I'm sorry. I again. I I, I remember I saw that movie opening weekend, hmm. and I thought to myself, it's okay. <laughs> and then it, I didn't love it, but like I I, I got what he, I got what he was putting down. Hmm. Uh, but I at the time everyone thought it was going to be a huge disaster, not in like the the genre way, but in terms of like well, in fact, it cost uh, a, a shocking amount of money. And yeah, they needed it, two studios to fund it. It mm. cost more, I think, more than any other film up to had up until that point. It, yeah, it did. Uh, and uh, it was moved from the summer. You can yeah. actually find like popcorn tubs that say summer uh, 1997. Yeah, they're posters as well. You can still track it. They're probably worth a lot of money Collide now. Collide with Destiny and then they yeah. changed it into something that looks a little bit more romantic. They moved it to Christmas release and yeah. wouldn't you know it dominated the box office. It was number one at the box office for months straight. And it's really has been a long time since that happened with like, it, except it, for like Pandemic which is like, there was like The Wretched I think was like number one for a while, but even that didn't have the Titanic legs. Well, I think just because nobody else was seeing anything. Exactly. So, the, so, like I think the the number one film at the box office from 2020 was Bad Boys for Life. Yeah, which is a January release because yeah. almost nothing else came out that was like significantly wide. Um, but Titanic didn't have like a huge opening weekend. Even it did it did okay, but it didn't make a hundred million dollars. Everyone was like, "Well, that's that." But then people, they, people movies don't back. have that kind of legs. There's no way it's ever going to make as much money. Became the biggest movie of all time. Um, and one of the reasons people were skeptical is because of Raise the Titanic. Mm. This movie was this giant, hugely budgeted, mega potential blockbuster. It was all supposed to capitalize on people's interest in the Titanic. And nobody cared. Mm. I don't know what exactly it, it is about it that failed to capture people's attention. Uh, the trailer is not very interesting, but frankly, a lot of trailers for good movies at the time weren't very interesting. So mm-hmm. word of mouth probably must have killed it, I imagine, because once the first wave of people get out yeah. of Raise the Titanic, well, there's, and they just sort of like go... There's everyone, also a, yeah. a, a sense that a lot of films that come uh, pre-build as expensive yeah, uh, tend people go in like ready to pinch their noses mm-hmm. uh water world syndrome if you didn't yeah. know that water world was the most expensive film of all time this was a few years before titanic uh you probably would have thought that that's a, an okay dumb water yeah. mad max kind of ripoff thing yeah it's pretty it's, stupid it's, it's, but it's, it's so very so. it's very it's, watchable yeah, yeah. It, it's it's fine yeah 
but it became notorious because it was so expensive. They had to build a new set. It's like the audience wants to be argumentative. Like, oh, 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 you spent that much? Show me. Yeah, wow me. Show you. You spend that much? Yeah, I need to fucking see Mm. it. I need to see it on screen. It's one of the reasons why James Cameron's movie works so well. It's all on screen. Leonardo DiCaprio was not commanding a paycheck at the time. That but, uh, shit is you, all on screen. But there are a lot of films that still have the, the capacity to wow you, but you're still like going to go in askance if you know how expensive it is. Mm. Uh, John Carter, Valerian, mm. Mortal, Mortal Engines. Uh, yeah. these, these things were gigantic budget movies, which some of which have dazzling sequences. Oh, yeah. There's, Mortal Engines has some incredible visual effects. That, in that opening sequence where two cities are chasing each other yeah. <laughs> across a landscape. And like, then, like, people, cities like... Cities on tank treads. And then there's, like, a foot chase through a city while, like, chainsaws the size of skyscrapers are ripping it apart. Yeah, like, there, there's that some... That shit's a fucking phenomenal... Like, the first act of Mortal Engines yeah. is fucking cool. <laughs> it gets a little formulaic from there on out. Yeah. But the movie's fine. That opening that, act is amazing. The, the human characters are really boring, but the zombie Frankenstein oh, robot thing. Cool. Ah, I love that uh, thing. That, that thing was really cool. Uh, is that, was that Stephen Lang? What was it Stephen Lang? I think it was that, Stephen that Lang, thing, yeah. That, I, that shit was fucking Whatever, awesome. it was like in mocap. He was like a CGI creation. Yeah, but it was, but yeah. It was a cool character, yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, Valerian has really dazzling special effects, but, you know, it's... French. Uh, it, it feels very European. It does feel yeah. very European. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I actually was uh, discussing uh, Valerian on a podcast called Tentpole Trauma. Oh, yeah. Uh, with, uh, with a friend of ours named Sebastian. And um, uh, we came to the conclusion that the reason a lot of people stayed away from Valerian is Valerian is non-lethal. Uh, you'll mm. notice all, all the weapons in Valerian uh, like incapacitate people or like lock people into pods or yeah. weigh down their. The movie hands. isn't trying to be violent. Yeah, and in fact, it's it's, a lot of adventure, but it's fact, not trying to be violent. It espouses nonviolence, and we we figured that might be one of the main reasons why it didn't catch on with American audience mm. who like the violence. They want to see, see the killing. I think the real issue with Valerian, I think there, Valerian has issues beyond mm. that. Dane DeHaan is simply miscast. Uh, I, I can't argue. There's no denying he's a good actor, but he, that's a wrong role that's, for him. Yeah, it's not the kind of role he should have been. No, you needed you needed you needed Chris Pine. You, 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 needed, Chris, you, you needed Chris Pratt or Chris Pine. Yeah. One of any of the Chris's would have been fine. Hmm. Chris Hemsworth would have been fine. Any of the he- Chris's. So, somebody uh, who can play like a little bit more. Like he's like a Han Solo you, character. You need a dashing, yeah. you know, rogue. And Dane DeHaan is more of like a James Dean type. It just he's miscast. It's a little more broody. Yeah. But beyond that, uh, the thing with that movie is there's really isn't a hook. There isn't yeah. like a there isn't like a story you can easily explain to people. And if you try, it's like oh, it's about this little uh, this this little tiny animal. That poops out clones of things, and it could be the most useful thing in the universe. Mm. And so the it and and immediately people's eyes glaze over, like we don't care. Like <laughs> Star Wars is about a kidnapped princess mm. and a weapon that destroys planets. Easy to understand, easy hook. It's, it's a fairy tale in space. Got it. It's so, about a city of a thousand planets, and it's this gigantic space station that's about the size of a planet, and yeah. thousands of different worlds have sort of stuck it all together, so it's this big patchwork. Yeah. Th- okay, I'm bored already. Yeah, it's it's but it's I, cool to it's watch. So cool. It's cool to watch, but it's yeah. really difficult to pitch, unfortunately. And, yeah, I think and I, I people like, need to know in a trailer, why do I need to see this? Well, That's the thing. That's, why do I need yeah. to... This can't wait. I, I can only have enough money to see a couple of movies a year. Why is this the one? I, uh... That's not the problem with Raise the Titanic. No. The plot is in the title. <laughs> yeah. It, they're going to raise the clear. Titanic. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, the motive is stupid, but who cares? The, the, the motive is we need Byzantium. We, it's need, on the Titanic. we need a that's, fucking that's, MacGuffin. That's really stupid. There's yeah. a MacGuffin on the Titanic, so we yeah. need to raise it. We, we basically do. we needed we we're gonna raise the Titanic, but we need a ticking clock. That's yeah. what they needed, and they couldn't think of a better uh, one than that. So how complex it is, or how difficult to pitch it is, isn't a problem. It is yeah. maybe too simple, in fact. I think the issue is just audience skepticism of mm-hmm. expensive projects. Yeah. Uh, if if the movie comes sort of like pre-sold, if it's a sequel, and you can make that as expensive as you like, and we've seen that with, you know, the Avengers films, those things cost hundreds of hundreds of millions of dollars to make, but those that's like the fourteenth, fifteenth, twentieth film in a series that already kind of has a built-in audience. People yeah. are excited about it. They're willing. They're not as going to be as skeptical as something like that because they know what they're getting. I also think that the problem with the film mm. is, I, I I think it's it's two things, but they're directly connected. The protagonist and the tone. Mm. I think Dirk Pitt, again, I haven't read the books, maybe in the books he's amazing. He's a boring protagonist. He doesn't have interests or passions or anything. He's not funny. He's not Mm. romantic. If this was the basic plot, like the bare bones idea you had for an Mm. Indiana Jones movie, Indiana Jones needs to find some artifact that was on the Titanic. Mm. Sold. Because you can picture like the foot chases on the Titanic Mm. as it's being raised and all this cool stuff. You're taking all of these ideas that you had and you're centering them around a dashing, compelling hero. Mm. And you're thinking of other stuff you can do with that gimmick. You're not just raising the Titanic. We're raising the Titanic and then we're going to do a chase on it. Or then we're going to do something else cool on it. I'm thinking of Dirk Pitt as sort of like an an Indiana Jones type character. That's my point. Like an Alan Quartermain type character. Yeah, some pulpy adventure hero. Think of the structure of Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is a a serialized narrative in feature form. Sure. Uh, we first of all, there's an introductory sequence where we get to see what the hero does when he's not doing the main story. Mm-hmm. That's not in Raise the Titanic. We don't get to see a Dirk Pitt adventure in Medias Res. It almost looks like we are, but it's actually another character who disappears from the narrative right away. There's yeah, some guy it, in like this tiny island in the Arctic, mm-hmm. and he like finds uh, he's digging in the Antarctic or he's digging in the Arctic, and he finds a corpse of a guy, and then he gets attacked by Russians. And it's not Dirk Pitt. Yeah, and that's, and that's not Dirk Pitt. <laughs> that's a huge so, mistake. So has, you should have been Dirk uh, Pitt. Establishing a little bit who Dirk Pitt was was crucial, and they didn't have that. Yeah. Uh, secondly, you think of uh, once Indiana Jones, he's hired by uh, these suits to go find the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. And every time he gets a step closer, the not there's bad guys. First of all, who are trying to chase them. Now there are bad guys in Raise the Titanic. It's the Russians, but, but they're not on site. There there's like a spy, but it's not like there's, there's no spy, danger involved. Yeah, we, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, we get to see them close on the the good guys' heels throughout the movie. Yeah. So he has to keep on the move. And whenever and, there's, whenever it gets a little boring, they fight. Yeah, there's a yeah. little little bit of a fight, and also every time he finds another clue to like where the Ark of the Covenant is, the stakes are raised a little bit, and it, the narrative changes a little bit. Like we found where this is. Now we're gonna have a digging sequence. There's a yeah. lot of variety in this yeah. because it's supposed to be a serial. Every new development uh, leads to new challenges. Yeah. yeah. What what if? Then what? Yeah. <laughs> to, to quote Wiener Dog. Yeah, to quote the movie Wiener Dog. Which is actually uh, a pretty, pretty good pretty, pretty good, good philosophy. writing advice. Yeah. Pretty, yeah. Just ask what if, then the and then, then ask then, then what. what? Yeah. yeah. And then this happens. Pretty then what? Yeah. Then this happens. Then what? Yeah. Keep yeah. on thinking, thinking that out. Yeah. Raise the Titanic is really good at the first half. Yeah. Uh, Bad at the second. So there's no sense of raising stakes that if they fail to raise the Titanic, something will be lost or the bad guys will mm. gain something. Even this, it's even just this something laser defense say, system yeah. is like a hypothetical. 
It's not like we need it now yeah, it's like before there, this there's a, there, moment. Like the Russians are building this weapon and we need this in like X number of days other, or yeah. you know, they'll vaporize Detroit. You know, whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, like that would be relevant. But here it's just like we want better missile defense system because it's the Cold War. Mm. You, 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 know, little, you can't just fall back on it's the Cold War. You need no. to actually have something about to happen. No, I understand Dirk Pitt is not the same kind of character as uh, Indiana Jones. He's a little bit no. more... He's a much more modern character. I was mm. just looking at his, his Wikipedia page. Evidently, he collects classic cars. So he's, oh, he's a little bit more like a, like a Green Hornet. Like he's a rich playboy kind of character. Mm, okay. So Based not, on our limited research. But I do know how adventure characters ought to behave in adventure films to make it exciting. And there's yeah. myriad ways to do it. But Raise the Titanic doesn't give us any of those look, things. When you when you you can look at a million different movies and you can boil them down to similar storytelling ideas. Hmm. This is what a lot of screenwriting uh, uh, classes are about: is trying to teach people to think about stories, not not get caught up in the weeds and the minutia, hmm. but try to think about stories in their grandest sense, so that you can plot them out, so that yeah. you can plan them. And you know, some people have a really good innate sense of that. Often it's developed through many years of study or at least practice. Sometimes people just watch enough movies that they get it without mm. even realizing it. But yeah, you look at adventure movies of any kind, and Race of the Titanic is clearly an adventure movie of a sort. Mm. You need to constantly change and raise the stakes. You need yeah. to constantly Damn. challenge the characters, and you need to, if there's going to be an antagonist, they need to be active. You can't just have them show up at the end hmm. after a couple of scenes of them talking at, at a dinner party. It's like, oh, they're raising the Titanic? No, we should do something e- later. Even if they're not on screen, we need yeah. s- like uh, like some CIA guy to come in and say the Russians are getting glow. Like, give something. us let us know what's going. Something, please. Like, we found this evidence. Here's a piece of paper. We don't even have to see it. He looks yeah. at it and just have him react. Oh crap! We need to hurry. You know, yeah. something, something that makes Th- us excited. This is this is like this is like watching like a History Channel documentary mm-hmm. where they decided to do some like historical reenactment scenes, mm-hmm. but they decided to get a little too creative with those and added this whole weird subplot yeah like that's what this feels like because it's very interested in the tech stuff the nerdy stuff about raising the titanic and honestly when they're just focusing on that it's not bad like i actually like the idea um, we're trying to solve an impossible problem and i'm fascinated by people solving impossible problems if the writer can come up with a way to solve it Kudos. I want to see that. And, and indeed, there are film directors who deal with that kind of meticulous, mechanical kind of viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Mamet is one of them. Yep. Uh, he's he's a very technical film. Like, he deals with characters, but yeah. he also is very technical when it comes to shop. Yeah, well, also uh, when and, it comes to his stories as well. Like, yeah, he's, he's very and, interested in um, like, what the characters do for a living, and what they do mm-hmm. for a living is deceive, so he comes up with mm-hmm. those in an almost mathematical way. And, and I feel like nobody's better at that kind of technical world building than Steven Soderbergh. I was going to uh, yeah. say Michael. Man, Michael Mann, too. Thief, um, Heat. Oh, I, I, haven't, I haven't seen Thief, but yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, Michael Mann, yeah. similar okay. sort of thing. Um, but Soderbergh, you're going to say? I, I, but I, I believe Soderbergh could do something like raise the Titanic because he'd fill it with a lot of interesting characters. For mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. he'd get because he knows every actor in Hollywood to get a really interesting cast right. of not just Dirk Pitts, but like a whole ensemble sort of raising the Titanic together. <sighs> And we would see that these are people who are really good at their job and we can get involved in their shop. And I feel like this is a technical film. It's trying to be really scientifically accurate or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I don't see the characters passionate about the science. Right. So here's what I would do. I would get a filmmaker who understood that, frankly, 
this whole idea of raising the Titanic in order to find some treasure mm. in there is missing the point of the Titanic. Is that so, it's a missing mystery? Or? No, it's that, it, that it's actually a human story and that it actually mm. matters. It's not just this technical exercise. Yeah. So what you do is you have a filmmaker who opens the movie with people looking for the Titanic, looking for some kind of treasure, and then over the course of the film, much like they meet Alec Guinness and he tells them little stories about the Titanic, but you focus the entire movie around Someone telling a story of what it was like to actually be on that Titanic and watch it sink so that the people who were on this scavenger hunt mission understand the greater context of it and actually learn something from their adventure. And I'm thinking you get someone like James Cameron to direct. <laughs> because if you think about it, there's, um, a, there's some structural similarities that, 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 here. That could work. I think yeah. there's some structural similarities here. And I wouldn't be surprised if James Cameron had read the novel or seen the movie. Well, because he, there's there's he, a few minor you know things that connect. If you ever see a, a, a Night to Remember, which is another yeah. Titanic movie, yeah. there's lines of dialogue from A Night to Remember that are in Titanic. Yeah. Just, because it was a matter of record. Like, that oh, yeah. there were survivors and this, a lot yeah, of people, things people, reported on. A lot on. of survivors. Not, yeah. not enough by far, but, like, there were quite a few survivors. Mm. Um, also, the, uh, the movie... Uh, there were two Titanic movies in the 50s, and I always get them confused. I can never remember which one I saw. Mm. I saw one, I didn't see the other. There's A Night to Remember, and there's one that's literally just called Titanic. Just called Titanic, yeah. One of those made me cry like nobody's business because there's this. I think it's Titanic. There's a there's a whole subplot about a man who finds out that his son. He's he's on the ship with his wife and his son, hmm. but he finds out his son isn't his, and he didn't know that. Oh, I, that that's got to be Titanic. I think it's Titanic because yeah. there's this incredible subplot where he finds out that his son isn't his, hmm. and he's really fucked up by this, and it's probably going to destroy their marriage. But the son doesn't know what's going on. Hmm. He loves his dad. So at the end of the movie, when the Titanic is sinking, this guy does the thing to do. I put my wife and, and the child mm. on a boat, and I'm going to sit here with the brandy and wait to die. Mm. Because there's not enough room for everybody, and that's the way it goes. Mm. And he's sitting there, so and he's very is. sad, and he's lost everything. And just as everything's going down, the lifeboats are going away, his son runs up to him because he missed his dad. Oh. And oh my <laughs> god! Because the kid and didn't the kid, matter. He loved, the kid, and the boy, oh my god, his daddy. Oh my oh god. god, that is <laughs> such good melodrama. Oh my god, <laughs> I'm about to cry just thinking about that. Oh, That's man. one of the saddest endings of any movie I've ever seen. It's incredible, but um, Raise the Titanic is not. Um, is it awful? No, it's just kind of dull. <laughs> like it's not it's not like the worst thing ever. I can just yeah. see why it didn't make money. It's not very interesting. Mm. It's a shame, really, because there's yeah, neat the, stuff here the if you did. The pacing isn't uh, maybe they were going for something like a little bit more adult and a little less pulpy, but instead yeah. of doing the kind of drained of a lot of its potential excitement. Yeah. It's an implausible premise, so maybe roll with that implausibility a little bit. Yeah, go nuts. Uh, you Have know, fun. If, if you're gonna make a movie about making a big drill that's going down to restart the core of the earth that has stopped spinning <laughs> with a nuclear bomb. Which admittedly we wouldn't make, do for another like 20 years. Make it but... a little silly. Yeah. The movie came out in 2003. <laughs> the core, the core is, is, the a name very of, stupid is movie. it's a very stupid it's movie. Very it's stupid incredibly movie. watchable, but it's very stupid. That. I am looking forward to seeing the trailer for Moonfall. Uh, no, but I, oh. I, I, I tend, tend not to watch trailers, but I'm really tempted to watch I think you should watch the trailer for Moonfall because it looks incredibly <laughs> stupid and I can't wait. Roll, Roland Emmerich's next Earth no. destruction flight. If you're going to do a disaster, listen, disaster movies are a little too close to home right now. If you're going to do it, you got to do it real stupid. Either make it, either, either have a Moonfall or a Geostorm. Yeah, anything. Otherwise, don't waste my time. Thank you. So I'm looking forward to it. But anyway, uh, next time on Critically Reclaimed, uh, we will be talking about, uh, we'll be going over to Disney Plus. 
and we're going to be looking at live-action Disney movies from the 90s that one or both of us missed. Mm. Uh, and uh, if you head on over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, you'll be able to vote for one of the following movies. We will watch whichever one wins the poll. The uh, nominees are Camp Nowhere, which is about a camp run by Christopher Lloyd that I assume is quite hard to find. Uh, there's Heavyweights. Uh, another an, camp movie. Another <laughs> camp movie. This one with Ben Stiller running a camp uh, for, for, for large kids. And the kids take over the thing. I've actually never seen that one. The kid won't keep telling me I need to. Maybe I will this week. It all depends on you. Uh, that Darn Cat. Not the original with Annette Finicello. But the remake with Christina Ricci and Dougie Doug. From the writers of Man on the Moon and Ed Wood. It's <laughs> interesting. They, they had to pay the bills. Hey. They also wrote Problem Child. Bless them. Uh, and then their last nominee, which you could vote for, is the Disney version of The Three Musketeers starring Kiefer Sutherland, Charlie Sheen, Oliver Platt, Tim Curry, and Chris O'Donnell. Hmm. Boom. They Those are your it, options. Did it all for one and all for love. Mm-hmm. I hate that song. You hate that? You hate you hate the best song ever written? Yes. Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I I have no no mm-hmm. tolerance for your drivel. How do you how do you feel about the Don Juan DeMarco theme? Uh about hate about as much. Yeah. But, okay. Uh, let's see. Uh so the the Three Musketeers song was like the unholy trinity of <laughs> of Rod Stewart, Rod Stewart, Brian Adams and, and Sting. Yeah. Who did the Don Juan DeMarco theme? I think it was, I think it was Brian Adams. It was also Brian Adams? I think Brian Adams did the did the Don Juan DeMarco and I think Brian Adams also did uh, Robin Hood. Prince of Thieves. Oh no! Brian Adams was kind of was kind of the man for a while there. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, the Canadian government has apologized for Brian Adams on several occasions. <laughs> anyway, those are the nominees. You can head over to Patreon.com/slash Critically Acclaimed Network to vote for that. You also get a lot of other exclusive shows if you sign up. Uh, if uh, you want to talk about anything we discussed on this episode, we'd love to hear from you. Mm. You can email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email on an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. Whitney, what is our P.O. box? Uh, if you want to send yeah. us a, a snailish mailish. Send us an actual physical letter. We love to get those. Um, yeah, you can write into uh, the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641-565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah. And uh, we're on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seidel. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast in a timely manner, we're currently having a Labor Day sale over at Salt Cat Soap. The Etsy store I run with my partner, M. Lampas Da Silva. We have a lot of designer soaps uh, that we make. They smell amazing. They look really, really great. I, I can say this because Michelle does most of them. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm really, really proud of them. And uh, there's a sale going on all Labor Day. Uh, so uh, check them out. Thank you, everybody, who's already bought some soap. Uh, the reviews have been really, really positive so far, and that means a lot to us. Uh, and uh, Whitney also has another podcast. I do. Uh, over on the Screen's Margins which is a, a podcasting network run by the venerable B. Peterson. Uh, we talk about films on Ovid, the streaming service Ovid. The podcast is called All About Ovid, spelled with all O's. Good luck Googling that. Well, you Google it right, you get it first click. <laughs> you Google it wrong. Have you tried Googling it wrong? No. Like, all, yeah, with all, I'm see if this, all, I'm gonna, all About Ovid. I'm actually going to Google this right O-L-L-O-O-B-O-U-T. now. I just want to see if that... O-B-O-U-T. You keep saying it's ungoogleable. I want to see if it actually comes up. But yeah, they and I talk about uh, what we see on Ovid. We recently discovered uh, just an, an utter masterwork called um, Too Late to Die Young by a Chilean filmmaker named uh, Domingo Sotomayor. Please watch Too Late to Die Young. It is so good. It's uh, a 
a film about a, a sort of a a well-to-do commune living off the grid, sort of living off the land uh, in houses that weren't really completely built and some dodgy water supply. And it, it focuses on three kids who are living there and uh, just sort of their experiences on how they're in this nebulous period in Chilean history after the fall of Pinochet, but before the rise of the democratic government. Mm. So, uh, it, and it's all this really wonderful political allegory that as it plays into as a metaphor for adolescence, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful movie. Uh, B and I talk about that movie. Nice. Uh, if you, if you type in all about Ovid and spell it all correctly, mm. you don't get anything. You actually get, you actually get a podcast about the, the actual oh, the classical poets. writer. Yeah, okay. Uh, if you type in all about Ovid with all the O's, mm. Google is like, did you mean all about COVID? Oh, no! <laughs> so, please, write it incorrectly. All with an O. Oh, about, about with, with an O. With an O at the beginning. With two O's, actually. Uh, well, beginning. And, uh, and Ovid, O-V-I-D. Hmm. Uh, look for it. Once you put that in, it's easy. Hmm. You find it. But please check it out. Because everyone's always like, well, we always talk about the same movies uh, in the... Hmm. In the in, in the realm and the discourse, mm. and, um, well, and, and we need to make was, sure we, we talk about the films that aren't being talked about. Well, and that's that was sort of the uh, the mission statement of of B. Peterson's exactly. the screen's margins. Exactly. If we focus on the mainstream, what's on the margins? Exactly. Uh, so kudos to that. And um, if we get anything, Twitter. No, I think that's it. Mm. So uh, thank you everybody for listening. We hope you enjoyed raising the Titanic, and we will see you when we. Do when, the, when we further reclaim we, something. Yeah, when we when we sink that darn cat. Maybe, if it wins. I don't know.